Let's Talk Land, a weekly land education talk show devoted to learning about land and farms, buying and selling, ownership, and especially for real estate agents and realtors. Learn from the experts, guys. Free land education. Hi, my name's Lou Jewell. I'm an accredited land consultant with the United Country Real Estate Sutton Properties, along with my co-host today, Teresa Martin, who's out selling land today. So we wish her all the best. Buying or selling homes, land or farms in western Piedmont, North Carolina, or Southern Virginia, just give us a shout, guys. We'll help you out. Our office is at 102 East Main Street next to BB&T Bank in downtown Pilot Mountain, North Carolina. Our company website is www.allsuttonproperties.com. That's A-L-L-S-U-T-T-O-N, properties, plural, dot com. All of our shows are dedicated to the Realtors Land Institute staff and members in our national websites, www.rliland.com. If you're looking to buy or sell land, you want to go to somebody's got some knowledge because it's sure in, in, in our educational real estate uh, curriculums. So uh, check out our lives. We've got agents all over the country, and we have about 500 accredited land consultants. And uh, so uh, we are the tops of the group. Would you like to thank our? We would like to thank our sponsor, LandHub.com. If you're buying or selling land, LandHub is the place to be. So our guest today again, welcome Stephen Brockus, founder of CEO FarmLandFinder.com and Ames Our. Welcome back, Stephen. Hey, Lou, it's great to be back on. I know, you're setting records on my radio show here, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but we're glad to have you back. Um, you've got some new stuff that we're going to get into, and we'll remind those because some of the listening audience out there uh, hadn't had the privilege of listening to your other podcasts. So we'll kind of bring them up to date if that's what you'd like to do, Stephen. Perfect. That sounds great. So you, you've been well, work, working in farmland. Uh, you're just trying to make it easily accessible. Uh, growing up to the fifth-generation family farm, wow, five generations. You're a graduate of Iowa State University and served in the national FFA. What's FFA? Future Farms of America, right? Future Farmers of America. What a great organization. We've had them on the show, too. Uh, that, that's, that is a historic, it's sort of like RLI. It, it's uh, well-received well, um, uh, well out there. Agriculture is, of course, in your blood. And for the land auction uh, that sparked the idea of how to quickly grow Set up Farmland Finder, and if you're not driving, uh, get a chance. You've got a, uh, some type of phone or implement. Uh, Google that, farmlandfinder.com. We'll mention it a couple times, and check out the website. There's a lot of information that we'll be talking about today. So it's making it easier to find information when buying and selling or just valuing land, which is, uh, which is a science in itself. So um, tell us how it's going out there. How long have you been in business now? We've been around for five years. Wow, five years. I, how crazy time flies. And it's been fun. You know, when I started the company, my whole objective, Lou, was to make it so that when someone searched on Google land for sale or, you know, upcoming auction near me, instead of give it, getting a list of 100 different broker websites and uh, having to filter through all of the different options, um, they just see one resource that had all of that information. And so... Yeah, it was really interesting as we started with that um, and trying to just make this land information more accessible online. Uh, fast forward five years, um, a lot has uh, changed, but also a lot has remained the same. Um, and, and we're excited to keep on introducing new technologies uh, to the market that 
make it easier for people to buy, sell, and, and value farms. Yeah, you guys do a great job. Your website, you grew up on a dairy farm. Now, you know, my family, my mother's family, um, uh, uh, my great-grandfather had moved from Stokes County over to uh, Surrey County, which is on the Virginia border. We were about 100 miles north of Charlotte, just for reference, and on the Virginia border. Beautiful rolling foothills uh, with uh, part of the Blue Ridge in our western county. Uh, but, uh, you know, my grandfather started a dairy farm. I'm not real sure. I think it was back in the 30s, and in my, at his demise, my uh, aunt and uncle took it over, and then they passed, and, and then the two grandchildren, uh, two boys, uh, uh, inherited it, and, uh, and uh, they closed it down. Now we got, they got 12 chicken houses, but, uh, well, that's a labor of love, <laughs> that dairy farming. It is. Well, I grew up, you know, feeding calves, milking cows, and getting out of school to do field work. Um, my grandma and grandpa, your know, dad and uncle are all still full-time on the farm. We're milking uh, about 600 cows up in northwest Iowa. And, um, I mean, you talk about, you know, family transitioning. You know, my great-grandmother, um, you know, passed away 15-ish years ago. And my grandpa has four siblings. And they divvied all the land up between my grandpa and his his siblings. And my, my grandfather said it was, you know, the hardest day of his life when he had to go to his brothers and sisters, and he was the only one on the farm, the only one that lived close to home, um, and he had to ask them if he could buy the land from them or rent the ground back from them, um, and they didn't have to do that. Um, they, they could have uh, told him to go fly a kite, and he said that was a really, uh, really challenging day. Fortunately, you know, he had good relationships with his siblings, and he was able to, uh, some of it he bought it back from them, uh, some he still rents it to them from this, uh, to this day. Uh, but he said, by golly, I don't want to put my kids in that situation when we do some fan, uh, farm transition planning. And so that sparked this whole conversation and, and started changing how my grandpa thought about the farm business. Sure, of course. Um, you know, really, they instead of being a sole proprietor, they put that into all of the farm assets into an LLC. Um, they have my uncle and my dad who are, you know, successors on the farm or partners of that um, business and um, it's just a little bit different. You know, agriculture looks different today and how land transitions and how farms transition and the business structures in, in which they actually transition, you know, that, that's different today than it was 10 years ago than it was 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. So it's kind of uh, interesting to see that in my family. And uh, I, a lot of folks I talk to, Lou, have similar stories to yours where something transitions and it seems like less and less people are on the farm these days. But there's a lot of people that are really interested in farms and, uh, and in farmland and um, it's it's fun to get to work with those folks um, every single day. We parallel in that. We're almost six generations, and Stephen, not one inch has ever been sold to anyone outside the family. Um, one of my uncle's uh, wives had passed years ago, and he remarried, and then he passed probably 10 years ago, and then his second wife passed last year, and uh, he had built a house next to my grandfather and, and uh, had like 30 acres and, uh, and uh, three children that, where I grew up, uh, I grew up in Charlotte, but I spent my summers there, and that was my uncle and my cousins there. And, um, you know, the three of them were successful and scattered, and, and they really didn't want it. And, of course, they knew the, the history stuff, and one of the first things was they called me for to help out and kind of help evaluate it. And I said, do you want me listed? They said, no, we already got people want to buy it. And, uh, and I said, well, they're in their family. And they said, no, and they said, but there is one that might. So anyway, we worked it out, so... One of the uh, one of the uh, grandchildren uh, bought it, and then he's leasing it to the next generation. So it's uh, mm -hmm. you know it's um, we we didn't get sophisticated and do the LLCs. Uh, there were ten children, 
mother being uh, the oldest girl and and, um, and you know it was divided up uh, proportionally grandfather did a great job in fact that's kind of how I learned to um, you know do estate planning and also um, uh, developing land I've developed over 60 rural subdivisions we have a 10 acre law here as long as you stay 10 acres or more on your subdivision of property uh, you don't have to get the government involved imagine that concept so um, mm -hmm. it's um, well well, Lou, I'd be curious. You know, think about the future of this farmland market, and you know, you've been, you know, around farmland, you know, a few more years than I have. You know, fast forward 30, 40 oh, boy. years. Uh, how do you see things? How have you seen things change in the past, you know, 30 years? But how do you think things will change in the next, you know, 30 to 50 years? That's a great question, Stephen, and, and uh, I pondered that, and uh, you bring back some thoughts. Uh, that I'll share with you, but uh, um, the biggest thing in having this land show, I think this is the 138th one-hour podcast, uh, which you've been contributing to, thank you. Um, it's amazing what you learn. You know, I, I, I travel all over the country, actually outside the country. I had a guy on from Brazil and talking about the government down there and two crops in one season, uh, the tobacco, I mean, uh, corn and soy, and 12-month calendar, they can... Uh, plant and harvest two different crops. There's only one other place in the world. But that, that was fascinating. I have no idea. But um, what I'm seeing in the shows that I'm having, especially with the, uh, the technical guys like you guys, is the technology. Uh, I mean, you know, automated uh, farming, uh, satellite. I had a guy that uh, did his uh, graduate work at NASA back and then uh, now has a company, a satellite company. He's down to two millimeters square. And I said, what the hell do you use it for? He says, well, uh, migration of animals, uh, uh, urban crawl, uh, crop soil changes, uh, erosion, uh, floods, damage from floods, and the transition of, of land and farms and crops and weather. And he said, it's crazy. I built a multi-million dollar business just out of using satellite technology. Uh, and then, of course, you guys uh, with your website, and then you've got two of our our sponsors for our line, by the way, thank you for being a sponsor for our line. We've got our virtual land conference next week. I'm pretty excited about that uh, for a couple of days, two or three days. Thanks for sponsoring. But uh, like we had RealX on and Landgate, and, you know, they're, they, they've started technology of, uh, of organizing the old oil and gas from the landman and moving it into solar, wind, anything that you can make money above ground and below ground where us realtors can now register our client's property and it'll match up to the companies that are looking for sources and sites. Uh, the, then I've had several uh, biologists on, uh, the uh, genetic engineering that's going on with the animal uh, population and, the, uh, of course, the plants and, and, uh, and crops that we do, uh, soil, uh, the uh, carbon credits, uh, you know, all that's going forward. Uh, it's... Uh, you know, this 5G and this technology world, I'm 71, soon to be 72. I mean, golly, it's uh, next 30 years, it's going to be a ride, but it's, it's going to be totally different. What, what do you see? Yeah, well, Lou, I mean, it's incredible. I was, um, uh, I was talking to a farm broadcaster, Orion Samuelson, and uh, I know that name. sitting in the car and talking, and I asked him, that question i said you know i've seen a lot of technology i'm i'm young and i've only been around you know a few years and i've seen a lot of changes in technology with the advent of the internet 
um, and now blockchain technology is starting yep. to come online. Absolutely. Just a lot of things. So I asked him, I said, what's the biggest change you've seen on your farm um, or the biggest technological change you've seen in your life? And uh, Orion, in his deep voice, he says, I remember, he, he lists off a date. And he goes, that was the date that electricity was wired to the barn. Wow. And he said, for the first time ever, we could do chores after supper time. It changed everything. Sure um, did. You know, and when I think about you know, the future of, you know, just technology in a broader sense across the world and then, you know, honing into farmland and, and where I see it, but, you know, more technology than less um, is definitely what will happen. Um, you know, increased access to information and, and almost absolute transparency. Um, a lot of people get skittish around that, especially, you know, us, you know, rural ag folks who like our privacy. But, you know, when you look at access to information, to data, to, to being able to, um, you know, try out new ideas and concepts, you know, that information flow will be readily accessible. Um, I think automation is huge. Um, and all of this starts to coalesce in agriculture. You know, I think you look at a field or a farm in the future, um, you know, anything that can be automated will be automated. Yeah. Um, any information that can be made public will be made public. Um, any intermediaries, um, you know, things, processes, institutions, entities that slow down a process, um, I think any intermediary in the future will be um, essentially replaced with a technological solution, especially with the advent of blockchain, um, being able to do smart contracts um, and follow uh, processes and procedures um, in an automated sense. So, so I think it's interesting then when I think about the farmland market and the future of the farmland market, you know, I think if all of those things are true, um, more technology, more information, more automation, I think for farmland, um, it'll start to shift how people view this asset. Um, you know, my grandpa, I was talking with him uh, last weekend, and uh, he said, you know, his entire life, his wealth building activity, um, his retirement plan as the farmer was to build up his net worth in farmland. Um, you know, and he was able to do that, and he's getting close to retirement age, uh, whatever that means for a farmer. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Um, and now he's looking at, well, what, uh, what do I do now? And it's interesting with, I think the next year, the next generation coming in, um, we learned a few years back when, um, our dairy was in tough times. Our banker called us and said, you know, Hey, you're up against your operating line of credit. You got to sell some cows or sell some land. We learned really quickly. My grandpa wasn't going to sell his land. Yeah, we're going to hold you there. Our guest today, Steve Rockus. This is Let's Talk Land. Landhub.com is our sponsor. Sell your land, land from your dreams. Stephen, we're talking about the future of farming. How is robotics? How is that going to, I mean, uh, I can maybe see it in the poultry industry for harvesting eggs, uh, you know, for the layers. Uh, maybe even, uh, I don't know, the butchering. Could, could, they do, could they get into that? I mean, is robotics, uh, I'm sure it's in our future, but in relating to farmland and farmland production. Yeah, well, I mean, Really, I think anything that can be automated will be automated. Um, you know, our dairy farm, you know, we don't have robots on the farm, but my grandpa remembers the day we put in a central line, you know, um, pipeline for milk. and yep. Automatic uh, feeders, um, milkers, yep. the milking machines. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, he remembers he remembers all, all those transitions. Me too. Improvements. Um, you know, so I think 
where all this coalesces in uh, production ag, speaking specifically about like row crop, for example, you know, today we've got essentially drones and even satellite imagery that can see almost just as good as drones. Um, I think we're less than a few years away from having real-time high-def video streamed from outer space um, on every centimeter of the Earth. And when you talk about that level of technology and information, uh, that means in real time you could have a field that's being scouted by a satellite. Um, you could send a sprayer drone in an automated sense um, out to go do its job um, that is already following its prescription um, path. And then you can have automated tractors and technology and bots go out and, you know, pick weeds, uh, spray weeds, uh, harvest, um, you do all these different, uh, spray fertilizer, all these different activities. So I think the long run where all this technology overlaps in the field, um, gets really interesting because, um, the farmers will become managers of systems and managers of technology. And people say, well, I like, you know, my grandpa too, I like sitting in a combine. It's something peaceful about sitting in a tractor and being out there and farming. Like mowing the yard. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and the answer is yes, um, but every every farm up in my neck of the woods has a big machine uh, machinery shop, um, you know, and then in the back of our machine shed, uh, we have one of those original um, two-row plows that used to be oh, yeah. pulled by a horse. You know, times just change, yeah, it and does. it'll be interesting to see what that looks like um, for agriculture and robotics. Um, I think for the farmland space specifically, I think a lot of those changes um, will be more underneath on, on the lines of how do you make the most out of the land that you're farming or that you own and and make the most not only from a production standpoint but also from a return standpoint on that land um you know, does owning or renting land give you the biggest return on your investment Good questions yeah um, you know what does the ownership structure look like for you to have if you're renting long-term access to that farm um, if that's more capital efficient for you to be able to have a 20-year farmland contract um, instead of having to have so much of your net worth and so much of your debt tied up in the asset itself. And so I think we'll see a lot of changes in kind of the financial stack of farmland over the next five to ten years. And, and I think it'll fundamentally change how people view farmland and use farmland as, a, um, as an asset. Yeah, and you've got, uh, I'm seeing, too, uh, the show um, Indoor Farming, uh, you know, which uh, you don't have to worry so much about the climate. Uh, are you seeing much of that in your market area around uh, your clients? Oh, absolutely. I have a friend who has an indoor uh, lettuce farm up in Ames, and what's unique is the business model is he grows his lettuce, his produce indoors, um, he ships it directly to consumers, and so they get a subscription wow. of lettuce, and literally it's plucked. This is incredible, Lou. It's plucked in the morning, and within two to three hours, it's at the doorstep. Unbelievable. The sort of like the old milkman with, uh, with, with, uh, with uh, Amazon and, and Federal Express and UPS, everything else. I, I, you think Amazon's going to get into, uh, well, they're already in produce. Uh, yeah, they, they are. They they bought Whole Foods a couple of yeah. years ago, and now you can order fresh food anywhere close to to a Whole Foods market. It's it's crazy, and this technology. And some people get cagey or scared. Like, what, what what's the technology going to do? Is it going to disrupt things? Of course, it's going to disrupt things. It's going <laughs> to change literally everything. Um, however, that's what it's always done. 
Um, and so, yeah, I, I think you know, trying to stall the progress of technology for for the sake of you know, just stalling progress isn't you know really the way to look at it. I think really looking at especially anyone in, in farmland, for example, and brokers and auctioneers and absentee landowners and investors, you know, if you can find a way to use technology to build your business or use technology to do something a little bit different, um, then that's a really good use of that technology. And so it's, it's, it's kind of fun. No, no one today imagines running a business without a computer, without a spreadsheet, without your cell phone. You know, well, what is what are those things 20, 30 years down the road that people won't see themselves running their business or running their lives without? Um, they're probably technologies that uh, we haven't even been talking about yet. So it's, it's exciting to think about. Well, you got my head spinning. Hmm. <laughs> what about the what about the financial world of the uh, the farm lenders? Uh, you, of course, you got the farm credit, but there's other lending institutions. I'd like to, if you've got some contacts with some of these other uh, non-farm credit lenders uh, that specialize in farms. How about you know cueing me into them? We'd love to get them on our show and talk about their programs too. But what, where, yeah, are you, where are you seeing financing absolutely. going right now? Is it changing or or can it change? Really, from a financial standpoint, you know, money is a commodity, right? Um, and a lot of farmers, and this is a shift, and talk to my dad and grandpa about this too. A lot of farmers see money, you know, uh, an operating line of credit, you know, as an input cost. You know, they see paying a rental contract as an input cost. Okay. And so, so when you shift your mind, instead of from running the business, and what's the cost for you to do your business? You know, I, I've got money tied up in seed and chemical and, and fertilizer and machinery in land and et cetera in financing. Um, but you start shifting that mindset and saying, well, what, what's the cost for me to do what I'm doing and what's the return on that cost? You know, for every dollar that I put to work, you know, am I getting a buck fifty back? Am I getting two bucks back? And that type of mindset um, I, I think is really interesting because it helps producers look at things a little bit differently. And so – kind of parlaying into the, the financial world. We work with ag lenders and farm credit associations and regional banks, um, you know, across the country. And what's interesting is each and every one of them that we talk with, you know, have multiple technology projects going on internally. And they also have new initiatives where they're exploring or pushing the boundaries of, you know, how do you deliver credit differently? And so, for example, you know, I, we're not too far away from a future where a, someone who's looking to buy a farm or someone who's looking to rent a farm um, could apply for financing online, could be approved by entering their information, be entirely approved without ever talking to a human, and then they can get that money wired to them and start putting it to work. And, and what's interesting then is when you start taking these systems, you think of the, the whole lending infrastructure as a whole organism or a whole system, um, you start pulling some of these levers. Um, I, I, I don't see a future where it becomes less efficient. I think it'll become easier and more efficient. I think that'll decrease your cost to access capital, but I think you'll be able to also access money in, in really unique ways, um, whether you want to build up a, your net worth in farmland or whether you want to be an asset light farmer and want to rent more acres than you own. Um, I, I think that financial infrastructure for ag is, is really close to the point that it can handle that, and, um, and technology is at the forefront of making that shift happen. Hmm. Well, 
make, all makes sense because all the stuff there, now you've got the computer brain and the artificial intelligence and the logarithms. And, I mean, you know, they, they, it's just sort of like insurance industry. It's been around so long. I mean, it's risk tolerance. It's what everything's based on, uh, any type of uh, money uh, investment type thing. Uh, and it, it sounds like uh, we're right there with the uh, the uh, farm and land lenders too. Uh, you know, they're uh, they're. Uh, I, I just refinanced my house at two percent, fifteen year. And uh, other than the initial phone call and maybe two calls over the process, it was all done on the computer. You know, scan this, send this, blah blah blah. You need to do this, sign that, DocuSign, <laughs> and then the uh, then the. Uh, Escrow lady came to my office, my wife, and you know signed papers, and uh, you know, and here we go. I just got a mm -hmm. rebate check today. You know, it didn't cost me anything. I got money back. So uh, yeah, well, and it's so interesting. You know, in for residential real estate, that process has been really streamlined, and, and the slack has been pulled out of it. And in in farmland, it's been getting there. It still has a ways to go to get even to kind of that level of simplicity. Um, but I heard a statistic the other day. Um, it was uh, talking with uh, Dr. Bruce Sherrick, um, who's a farmland economist, and, and he highlights something really interesting that in farmland, um, less than 14% of farmland in the United States um, is leveraged. Uh, that means there's a wow. lot of equity tied up in farmland. That's and incredible. A lot of no, I haven't heard that, that stat. 14%. Hasn't been, yeah, under 14%. It's, it's an incredible statistic. Um, and so what's, what's interesting then is, you know, what does the financialization of farmland look like? And I'm not talking about only debt, but what does it look like for a farmer or for a landowner or for a retired farmer like my grandpa's getting close to that age? You know, what does it look like for them to unlock equity in their land, uh, to unlock that net worth that has been tied up um, you know, without giving 40% to the government. And I, I think there'll be a lot of unique technological solutions that really help um, help people use farmland as a means to kind of grow their future, um, no pun intended, instead of kind of being beholden to it, um, which is kind of what the status quo has been historically speaking. Yeah, we're going to... It's a super interesting future. Yeah, this is a new program, the sell leaseback program that you guys have just started. And that's why I wanted to get you back on the show. But we'll save that towards the end if it's okay with you. And by the way, if you have an uh, implement, you can go uh, pull up www.farmlandfinder.com uh, and kind of uh, go along with us here. Uh, you got an incredible website. And it's got a lot of information on it. So make sure you go to farmlandfinder.com. Um, Tell me what market areas you guys are. You guys keep expanding. I know uh, podcast thirty-seven of our show, "Let's Talk Land," uh, was one of the shows we did with you. Um, you were in Illinois, Indiana, uh, Kansas, Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, North Dakota, Ohio, South Dakota, and Wisconsin. And at that time, you had over seven thousand two hundred forty-nine listings and one hundred ninety-five auctions uh, coming up for tillable land, CRP acreage, and and timber properties. Where are you today? Have you expanded that market? Yeah, it's been really fun, Lou. You know, over time, you know, we constantly ask ourselves, you know, what markets do we go broad in and where do we go deep? And so we have software tools that 
farm management companies, ag lending institutions, banks, appraisers um, are using across the country. And so really, uh, we've, we've got folks um, you know, all the way in the northwest uh, down to you know, across the Corn Belt, you know, getting down into the Delta. And so it's kind of fun to see, you know, software tools being used um, to help create efficiencies and, and leverage this technology um, to help them grow their businesses. Uh, you know, when we look at, you know, the side of our business where people can go on Farmland Finder, they can see land for sale, they can see upcoming auctions, you know, that broader Midwestern market is really the core focus. Uh, we've learned that 60% of all farmland in the United States uh, exchanges hands in that footprint. Um, and that's really kind of the, the bread and butter of, um, you know, that side of the business. And so uh, we're kind of excited to kind of serve the market in a couple of different ways. And um, we've got a couple of new programs we'll talk about a little bit later around yeah, you know, leasebacks yep. um, and how we work with folks there um, because it's exciting to, to see what role technology can play. Um, for, for landowners and the professionals that serve landowners. we got to get you over in my backyard here in North Carolina, Virginia. Come on. <laughs> I know it. I know it. Someday, Lou, we'll get there. I know. Well, we'll just keep having you on the show until you do it. <laughs> we'll have the Steve yep. Brockers. You'll be my co-host here for the next time. There we go. But, um, you know, it's. Um, I, I'm glad to see you expanding, um, and I'm sure you've got a little more than 7,000 listings now. Um Kind of where are you there? Yeah, you know, right now there's a, about 11,000 active wow. listings and auctions on the market. Uh, the farmland market's been interesting you know, over time. It's always seasons and there's ebbs and there's flows, but you know, kind of a, you know, a non-time-bound principle that I learned in college you know, is about uh, supply and demand you know, and economics. And we've seen that bear true in, in farmland. Um, where when there's less supply available on the market, less land for sale, uh, typically prices will go up. Yeah. And you'll I'm going to cut you off. Demand. This is uh, Steve Bacchus. Uh, is, uh, and vice versa. Yeah. Steve, our guest today is Steve Bacchus. This is Let's Talk Land. View thousands of properties for sale at landhub.com. So, you know, we've we, we really covered a lot of ground here, Steve, and I, I, I love your enthusiasm and your background and your young knowledge and energy it's uh, it's exuberating over the over the wires here um talking to one of our alc buddies out in um in uh, uh iowa last week um uh, was talking about uh, land sales farmland sales and <clears throat> we were talking about auctions uh, i know in our market area we have our auction license at uh, uh, sutton properties here in pilot mountain <clears throat> for north carolina auction license and we have a, a cooperative for Virginia but um, we're not we're not seeing as many auctions uh, with this hot market uh, here for the last year or two um, and um, and the ones we're seeing a lot of them are online what's going on in your in this greater market area that you guys service yeah across the Midwest um, the area that we touch that's been really interesting we've seen just looking at the raw data uh, we've seen land in uh, recent years skewing towards um, the higher quality ground going to auction, um, which has also then um, you know, commands the highest dollars um, on the market. What's higher? What's you, higher? What's Stephen? What's higher quality land? Well, just for uh, audience out there. So, yeah. So across the Midwest, you know, in Iowa, there's the CSR two. You know, in Minnesota, it's the CPI, the soil quality. Um, but you're looking at you know your black dirt, you know, square eighty, you know, one twenty. It's got good road access. Anything that's 
you know, 75, 80 CSR2 or higher, you know, or if you get the CPI or PIs, you know, you're looking at 130, you know, 125 or higher. And what do those nomenclatures mean? Just explain those for our listing audience just so they kind of visualize what we're talking about. Yeah, so from a soil standpoint, you know, the, the soil quality, there's ratings that are in place that um, are, are trying to be a proxy for the productivity of that ground. So Iowa CSR2, you know, is the corn suitability rating or uh, CPI in Minnesota, the crop productivity index. And it's really just looking at the soil characteristics. You know, um, is it silty clay loam? Is it uh, sandy clarion? You know, what, what is the soil type? And that will help kind of dictate, you know, what is the quality. And it, it's not a one-to-one um, match, right? It's not a perfect system of, hey, if you have a higher, if you have a 90 CSR2 farm, you know, you're going to get 200 bushels an acre. Um, it, it, it's a benchmark. Exactly one-to-one, it's a, but it is yeah, a proxy yeah. um, that a lot of people use. So that, yeah, that, that adds to value if you can get more yield because that's what it's all about. Yield, yield, it, yield, it right? It is, right? Yield, yield, yield. And, and, and also, you know, our investors that are, are looking at farmland, you know, they look at what's when you price farmland, what's the smallest common denominator? Um, so typically it's the price per acre. Right. But one unit smaller than that is actually, well, what's the price per soil productivity point, like the price per CSR2 value? And so it, it helps to compare farms a little bit more apples to apples if you can break it into smaller um, data points. And the soil quality um you know, PI, CSR2, uh, can help some investors as they're analyzing as well. And does cap rate play into that too? Yeah, for investors, it, it really is. It comes down to, you know, what's the gross cash yield uh, of the farm, um, which it can be equated to a, a dividend of a stock, um, you know, or something like that. Uh, and what's the cap rate on the property? Um, you know, what's that return annually? And then what's the appreciation potential? on the farm. And so if you can answer those three questions for an investor and you de-risk all of those, um, right, can you de-risk or almost guarantee, you know, what's the income, the cash yield, what's the cap rate? You know, it's hard to guarantee um, the appreciation. You can almost guarantee, again, the the return from a cash standpoint through a a rental contract um, that's in place on the farm. Uh, Appreciation, you know, that's just depending on how long your hold period and what the broader market does. So it's a little bit harder to hedge for that. Um, but those are the things investors look for. And um, Well, you also got, partners. you've also got miles to market too, right? Say that again? You also have miles to market. I know that was the biggest thing with the, talking to my buddy in, in Brazil uh, was that the government was now investing billions of dollars to establish rural rail lines for commodities mm-hmm. to get them to uh, yep. the markets faster and cheaper. So, you know, location of these farms, I guess, is also important, too. I know in our area, we're big in chicken farming to the western part of us. And, uh, you know, and you get to, there's almost a line where you don't see chicken houses. And the reason is because of the distance to haul the feed and, of course, the chickens. Uh-huh. So you, you have that as a consideration, too, when you're, when you're uh, look. it's not just the property and it's got all these wonderful yields. But, you know, that's a cost factor, too, right? Absolutely. And in, in, in addition to those, you know, is, well, what is the local infrastructure and what's the local operator base? Do you actually have someone, some labor that can actually produce on the farm? Um, do you have a good farmer partner who understands the area, understands the market access, understands the crops, understands the soil type on the west side of the river versus on the east side of the river? 
right? You know, there's that local partner, local knowledge and expertise um, you know, that that is also you know really important when when making these decisions as an investor. Um, and, and it's super interesting, you know, to see the shift. Um, I'd say in, in recent years, and probably even more rapidly in the future, of investor interest in farmland. Um, you know, we were talking uh, during the break, Lou, about Bill Gates being the largest farmland owner in the country. He is now. And, and there's, <laughs> I know, and there's a lot of reasons. You know, he sees farmland as as attractive, um, but but also, you know, someone who's going to put money to work in farmland, um, it's not an easy thing to do, and a lot of times they need a clear path. Um, or access to actually be able to do that. And, and that's where it's fun uh, to see what RLI is doing uh, to try to you know, increase um, the access to farmland. Um, and that's what we do every day at Farmland Finder. So no, you, I mean, that's, you know, go to his website, guys, if you can, farmlandfinder.com. I mean, this isn't just a website to go identify, uh, you know, properties that's for sale or for lease. This is an educational site, and, and you guys really are good at uh, – on your website of explaining, uh, in layman terms, uh, all these different issues that we're talking about here on the show and even more. Uh, that's why I want you to, if you can't get to it uh, during the show this morning, uh, you know, jot that down, farmlandfinder.com. You want to go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We found a lot of, uh, I'd say, beginning farmers or expanding farmers uh, can come to our, our website and start to learn what are some mechanisms in place for them to expand their farm or expand their acres or to partner with an investor um, and uh, be able to start farming? Um, we also have a lot of resources, and I'd say most of the people we work with on um, on our transactional platform are either first-time farmland investors or, or um, farmland buyers who you know haven't bought hundreds of farms or even dozens of farms, but you know, maybe one or two. And, and what's really fun about that is there's so, everyone says this all the time, and it's so true, there's so much money sitting on the sideline waiting to be put to oh, the farmland. government's throwing trillions of dollars out there on the street. Trillions. It's out there on the street. And guess where it's going? Oh, it's just savings. <laughs> I, I know, right? And what's the rate of return on your savings? Yeah, really. You um, need to buy some farmland. So <laughs> you get some farmland, it's a good store of value. It's low risk. It doesn't lose 30% overnight like the stock market did when COVID hit. You know, there's so many inherent characteristics. And, and then you've got the broader demographics of um, you know, there being more people, more mouths to feed. Um, you know, that, that relationship, if you talk about demographics, you know, the farmer who produces on the land will always have to be local. You know, until someday far off in the future, and that's entirely automated and it's robots, right, the farmer to actually put seed in the ground, to care for the crop, to fertilize it, it all has to be someone geographically close to the ground. But there's no restrictions besides some regulatory restrictions, but set those aside, there's no restrictions on where the person lives who owns it. Right. You know, and it's so interesting. You know, you can own, you know, a stock in, you know, in Google or in Amazon or in Uber, um, and it doesn't matter where you live, but for farmland, um, today, you know, most people who uh, own the land or live close to it or they're farming it, I think 15 years down the road, that pendulum will swing entirely the other way. Well, you're seeing that, you're seeing that with farm, you're you're seeing that with farmland investors, that's the programs that you are advocating this, this um, uh, programs out there, you don't have to, I could, I could own a farm in your backyard and part of your market area and be here in North Carolina. 
And then you've got the Hertz organizations and, and different ones that do farm management. Those are the big guys. And then you got the like my buddy up there in, in your backyard. That's just a small, you know. But they've got uh, like seven thousand acres. That are seven. What is it? Boy, I'm losing it. They got a lot of land that they manage. So. Uh, mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Well, when it's it's interesting. I talked to my grandpa over the weekend, and uh, he asked. You know, are you seeing more investors buying land? And I said, yes. Uh, and he said, I asked him, I said, is that a good or bad thing? And he goes, well, it depends. He says, if I can keep farming that ground and know I'm going to keep farming it, he's like, that's all I really want as a farmer. So if there's a way to do that. And then we started talking through this wild concept, which does not exist in farmland. Um, and people might raise their eyebrows a little bit. But what does it look like if a farmer could have a 20-year lease agreement with a landowner, right? Guaranteeing them long-term access to the farm. Mailbox money. <laughs> What's that? Mailbox money. <laughs> I know, right? It's, it's interesting. You, know, you just start looking at what different ways could things be done. And you know, today, you know, most lease contracts are short-term, one year, three years, five years. On organic land, you might get a little bit longer. It might be a seven-year lease, um, maybe 10 years. But you know, if, if you could guarantee as a farmer that you have 10-year, 20-year um, lease, you'll have control, you have access to that land, then in theory that land could actually transfer ownership um, without the farmer ever changing. And, and that's a really interesting concept if you can start abstracting the, the land ownership from the production and both move interdependently um, or independently of each other. Um, I think both markets will operate more efficiently and they'll be really unique. You talk about auctioneers and brokers and the real estate industry trying to service, you know, people selling rental contracts or that land changing ownership between different funds or different investors. Um, that's a very different future. And I think that's what technology will bring to bear is, okay. is make that easier. And, you know, this is uh, back to our family experience. This is generational. This is passing inheritance, you know. I mean, we're, like I said, almost six generations off of 900 acres with 10 children, uh, you know, with that uh, the original family uh, from the turn of the century of 1900s. And, uh, you know, and, and that's fed us, educated us, clothed us, <laughs> you know, and we got money in the bank. You know, people talk about the poor farmers. I, I, I don't really know any, quite frankly. <laughs> but, I mean, these yeah. programs are set up. And uh, I, I, I want to go back just real quick and steer you to demographics. And then I want to kind of get into this farmland finder, your uh, new program, your farmland leaseback. We're kind of talking around it. But let's, let's do the demographics. You know, when I read stuff, it's like the average farmer's in the 60s, you know, and, and what are they going to do with it? But uh, what, what, who's, who's, who's the farm owners now other than the Bill Gates and the Ted Turners and, and those? <laughs> interesting, Lou. Today, as we sit here talking, less than 2% of farmland is owned by organized capital or private equity groups. Wow. Um, and so a very, very small percent. However, in the last four to five years, you've seen almost a 65% increase in the amount of land that is purchased by investors in organized capital. capital. What's driving that? So, what's that? What's driving that? I think there's a lot of things, but as you see volatility in the market and things going up and down, um, as you see interest rates are a huge driver. You just said you refinance your home at uh, interest rate with a two in front of it. 
Um, Two zero. In farm, <laughs> that's incredible. You know, interest rates in farmland uh, have always driven values up. I was talking to a landowner uh, about a month and a half ago, and he said back in the 90s, he's been buying land, his first piece of property bought early 1990s. And he says every time that the interest rate went down uh, by a percent, land values almost doubled. Yeah, it's true. And it's just crazy. It's yeah, it is. So, so wild. Um, but when you look at access to capital and putting it to work, then where where are you going to get a long-term store of value um, in real assets? Um, and arguably farmland is, is the ultimate real asset um, with long-term time horizons and, and solid returns and low volatility. Um, so I think there's a lot of uh, funds and investors that are seeing that. Um, I also think the real estate community is their eyes are starting to be open to that and saying, wow, there's a lot of money that would typically go, you know, uh, look for more treasury or bond-like yields, and uh, farmland can be competitive and attractive uh, when compared with that, and it definitely beats dollars just sitting in the savings account. Um, so it's, there's a lot of things driving the market. Um, I think there'll be even more, uh, even more things in the future driving investor dollars into farmland. Are we seeing more of the younger generation getting involved, or are they sitting on the sidelines? younger generation wants to get involved, Lou. I think that's always been the case. Um, but they don't know how. How. Yeah. Well, you go to Farmland Finder's a good place to start. It, it is. We work with young farmers, especially ones who aren't inheriting land. Um, you know, maybe a, a young farmer uh, comes up and they'll come to our, our website and say, hey, uh, my neighbor said they'll sell the land to me, but I, I can't buy it. Um, we can partner that, that farmer with an investor, and the investor will buy it and rent it to the farmer, and eventually the farmer can, once they've built up enough scratch, uh, can actually buy that back from the investor, and we help facilitate that um, relationship. So it, there's a lot of unique ways, and that's what I love about young farmers, you know, people who call them aspiring farmers, you know, trying to get into it, is they're not afraid to do what it takes to get started. Um, you know, people in agriculture are not afraid to take risks or not afraid to be bold not afraid to do what it takes to uh, live out their passions of being on the farm. Um, but how that looks today looks different than it did 20 years ago. Yeah. And um, technology and platforms like ours are going to keep driving those changes um, so that the next generation can. So they're going to be the investors of the future, huh? Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely. And they're going to see farmland as um, not only uh, a, a way of life, um, but also as an investment, um, also as again, a, a machine, a, a business, um, something that helps them achieve their longer-term objectives. Um, and and I, I think a lot of times, you know, my grandpa, uh, it, was, it was interesting. We did, um, a, we built um, our improvements in our parlor, uh, milking parlor, um, when I was a kid. And then we added on and did some additional improvements when I was in high school. And then um, a year and a half ago, uh, we maxed out the capacity of our parlor. Wow. Uh, we're milking 600 cows, and literally this red barn that we've modified three or four times uh, over the years, it's at maximum capacity. We can't milk more than 600 cows. And so the next version of this, my grandpa is faced with this decision. He says, for the first time in really this big of a improvement on our farm is I have to think about what size of operation I actually want to have. Before it was always, I'm going to grow. I'm going to, his definition, definition of sustainable is, am I making enough money this year to stay in business next year, right? And if, and we've been able to do that, but now it's gotten to a point where we're milking as many cows as our barns will let us. 
and we have to decide, well, the next parlor that we build, um, that's going to determine the size of our dairy. And so that entire, his entire life has been building to this. And now if you talk about a beginning farmer coming in from day one, right now in this snapshot, uh, the question that they ask themselves is not going to be, how do I just build my farm and then stay in business next year? They're saying, what's my business plan to get started in farming? What type of farming business do I want to be in? What operation? And am I in the real estate business? Am I in the dairy business? Am I in the, am I in the cattle uh, livestock business? Am I in the hog business? And um, if you're in any of those businesses, um, then do more of that business and do less of the other ones. And that's where farmland Today, a lot of farmers treat, you know, I'm running a whole farmland business, and I'm also running a, a, a livestock business. And sometimes those businesses work really well together, uh, but sometimes they can be managed more efficiently if the land and the capital stack and the debt requirements are separated from the production. So it's a really interesting time to for someone, especially beginning farmer, to step in to to this industry. All right, there you go. So you go to farmlandfinder.com. I keep talking about that. Uh, so uh, that's the place to be, whether you're listening uh, live this morning uh, and uh, or you're going to Spotify Podbeam later or the Let's Talk Land.net, uh, where all the shows are cataloged and uh, you're welcome at any time, 24-7. All right, let's go into this new program. I'm, I'm excited. That's the reason I want to get you back on. Uh, this this is hotter than Snickers. Your farm sale leaseback program. It's, you're just launching this, right? Yes. So farmland sale leasebacks aren't new to the farmland space. Uh, however, we have a new program that is making it easier than ever for farmers and for investors to do uh, sale leasebacks. And so what a sale leaseback is, in its purest sense, is an owner-operator, uh, a farmer who owns ground, will, for some reason, um, whether they're maybe – wanting to unlock some equity. They've got their land rich and cash poor and all their money's tied up in land. They want to unlock some of that equity. Or maybe they're doing some retirement planning and they want to sell the land so that they can you know, fund their retirement, but they want to keep farming the ground for a few more years or maybe pass that on to their kids uh, so that their kids can keep farming the ground. Um, you know, There's different reasons someone would do a farm sale lease back. And so what they do is uh, they go to farmlandfinder.com, can apply for a sale lease back, and we'll work with them to figure out the rental contract, uh, to figure out the economics and the pricing. And then we match them with an investor who then buys their land and rents it back to them on a long-term basis. And so you can see a rental contract, maybe it's one year, maybe it's three years, five years, you know, maybe even pushing the envelope and putting in place a seven-year or 10-year rental contract. But giving that farmer long-term control of the land um, while having a financial partner uh, who owns the property um, and, and helps them as they continue to expand their operation. So we're excited about announcing the online farm sale leaseback program. Um, and we've got a lot of landowners, uh, farmers that we've worked with already, and uh, a lot of investors as well. who are really excited about um, getting involved in uh, farmland in this way. So I've got some ground. I'm 71. My kids aren't interested in it. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I'm tired of getting on the tractor. <laughs> so uh, I go to um, uh, Farmland Finder and one of your um, talented staff, and I tell you, you got some – how many people on your staff there now? Uh, there's a dozen of us. Uh, really, already? Midwest. Wow. Mm -hmm. But they're all uh, extremely talented and qualified. 
and up to speed on what's going on. But you talk us, you talk me through how all this works. Uh, you've got all the paperwork, legal documents, all engineered uh, for the different states and situations. I say, and um, and um, then we uh, determine. Uh, I'm going to sell the property for half a million dollars, uh, and uh, of course I'll have the capital gains uh, to deal with. That's another story, possibly. And uh, but um, I figure at 71, I still want to play around, say for uh, four more years, and um, health, good Lord willing, health provided. And um, so that half a million dollars is in my pocket. Now I've had this operation for 40 years. Uh, I'm going to continue that operation with my employees, right, with my product mix and with my obligations, uh, but someone else is actually managing and, or financing that, right? That, that's correct, Lou. And, and to take it even one step further, you know, let's say that you know, in that four-year period you're farming it and you've got someone on the farm who you're like, man, they really want to – they kind of want to take over the farm. Or maybe you've got a neighbor kid who's trying to – get into that well you have that contract and so you can actually you know sign that rental contract to that beginning farmer um, or to that neighbor or to whoever else so that when you leave now that you've set that person up for success and they have this relationship with the investor um, who gets to work with them gets comfortable with them and then can renew that contract um, into the future and so it can give you as that landowner um, as that operator as that person um, who really cares for the land and also is passionate about, um, you know, achieving, using this legacy you built up to achieve kind of your goals later in life. Um, it gives you a very clear path to actually doing that um, and, and helping someone else, um, kind of paying it forward, if you will, um, while not having to, uh, you, know, you know, give an arm or a leg uh, to, to help someone out. And so the sale leaseback program is, is exciting, and there's a lot of um, – a lot of unique conversations that we have. Uh, I was talking with a farmer, uh, this was a few months ago, um, when we were just testing it out. And uh, this farmer said, I've got a property um, and um, I want to increase my acres as rapidly as I can. I want to run my machinery over as many acres as I can. That's how I'm going to be most profitable. Um, but there's property for sale that um, I can't quite get the financing lined up for. And so what would you uh, had conversations with, and uh, we encouraged this farmer to do it. He applied for a sale lease back on one of his properties. Uh, we connected him with an investor and got everything figured out there so that he could enter a, a rental relationship with um, that new landowner. But then he took the proceeds from that sale and uh, doing a 1031 exchange so he didn't have to pay Uncle Sam. He put that into and bought another property, and he effectively you know, increased his acre base um, you know, without uh, taking on additional debt, um, you know, without having to line up a million different things. And through a few simple steps in our, uh, on our platform and working with his land support specialist on, on the Farmland Finder team, uh, was able to put that all together in a really straightforward way. And so it, it's exciting to see the new options that are available for producers and to land investors when, again, it requires you to think a little bit differently than a lot of folks have in the past, um, but there's a lot of benefits to thinking differently. Um, and, and that's really, you know, the future is for those who do think different and um, take action upon that. With about two minutes left, Stephen, um, so this new investor, maybe I want to do some capital improvements. I'm, I'm the, I'm the uh, leaseholder, uh, but instead of going to the bank, 
for the capital. I may just go to the investor, and the investor would provide that capital, right? It's sort of like a partner. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the investors care about getting a return on the ground, and they get returns you know, by having a good producer uh, in place who's going to take care of the land and increase the appreciation potential. So if there's any improvements, uh, whether it's for waterways, whether it's for drowned-out acres, whether it's for ditches, you know, right, it's in their best interest to work with and fund those uh, in order to increase the value of the land. But they also want that producer to get the best crop they can um, so that um, that producer is successful um, and can be a business partner that grows with them, uh, with the investor over time as well. And so it's it's a, a win-win type of relationship in, in how we try to set things up and align those incentives for both parties involved. I like it. Where do I sign up? <laughs> well, Lou, tell everyone on your show, go to farmlandfinder.com. Uh, there's two tabs. There's one for farmers. So if you're a farmer interested, uh, you can get pre-qualified for a sale lease back. Cost you nothing. There's no obligation. Um, you'll fill out a simple application, and um, one of our land support specialists will help you understand if it's a good option or not. Um, and there's a second tab for investors. So if you're an investor and you want to buy land that has a producer already in place, uh, you can apply to invest. Uh, we run you through a little bit of a qualification process to make sure you're set up for success. And then you can start buying farms through farmlandfinder.com. Incredible. I knew I liked you. How do they get in touch with you, Stephen? Excellent. Well, tell everyone to go to farmlandfinder.com, um, or they can call us at 515-219-4540. Okay. And uh, what, you got an email you want to put out there? Sure. Uh, my email is just my name, Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N, at farmlandfinder.com. You've been an incredible guest, and thank you for coming back. We're going to have you back on here some more. So, uh, Stephen, uh, thank you so much for sharing your wonderful knowledge with our listening audience. Thank you for joining us today. Let us know how you like the show. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to suggest, we'd appreciate them. All questions are welcome, and all of our guests may be emailed with your questions as well. This show is for the public and, most importantly, for the real estate agents who do not have a source of land education. All of our shows are downloaded after the show today on our master website, www.letstalkland.net. Net. Also, find us on Spotify and Podbean. My email is lou, L-O-U, at mylandpro.com. My cell number is 336-669-1405. And our sponsor is landhub.com. If you're looking to buy or sell land, landhub.com previews thousands of properties nationwide. Rodney, how do they get in touch with us here? Well, Lou, they can go to our website, go to WKTE1090.com, and also they can download the Simple Radio app. How uh, simple is it? It's very simple. Is it really simple? Really, really simple. simple even or... even Teresa did it no way. right the first time. Yeah. Wow. Unbelievable, isn't it? And we only play happy music at WKTE. That's right, and we would like to tell everyone that we're working on our website and, and our Facebook page, and we're going to be giving away five hundred dollars. Oh, we are to a happy person over there. Yes, we, really. Hopefully, by the end of the month, we'll have everything okay. ready to go. I'm excited. I'm excited. Oh yes, everybody is. Everybody wants to be happy and win some money. You got it. So we're beach music and oldies, and we've won some nice awards. Yes, five years in a row of being the top radio station of beach and oldies on the East Coast. That's uh, the whole East Coast. Yeah, the whole East Coast. Oh, even Key, the Key West. Key West, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'd like to be there right now. Uh, me too. Well, actually, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Um, 
You won a nice award, too. Yeah, it was uh, Reader's Choice Awards for Announcer of the Year. Hmm, wonder why. Hey, see you next week. Thank you for joining us.